is India Ramey here for Americana Station, and we are here with Meg Farrell today to talk about her new album. Um, Meg, you are coming to us in Nashville from New York City by way of Paris. Is that kind of accurate? <laughs> um, I, I'm New Yorker is where you know that's where I grew up, and um, but I lived in Paris for years where I studied jazz. Um, so I've, that's the only other place I've lived other than New York, but mainly New York. So coming to you via New York pretty much, but you know, with some. <laughs> so you have grown up in music, correct? Yeah. Um, both, my, both my parents are um, actors, but uh, my dad was kind of like a folk singer songwriter as well. Um, in like the seventies, I don't know, very much lower East side, New York kind of vibe. Um, and my grandmother was a piano player and clarinet player. So kind of more like in the household rather than like professional, well, you know, but um, it was around me my whole life, you know. Yeah. So you're a, a New York City kid. What's your favorite part of, um, I, I lived in New York for a year and I love it. Like, even though I was only there for a year, I consider it like my other home. So I want to know what your favorite part of New York City is, like your favorite mm. area. I mean, I really, my last apartment was in um, Park Slope and I loved that. That was, I, I was in North Brooklyn for most of the time I lived there. Like I was in Bushwick and Williamsburg. And I mean, I feel like it also comes with age. Like in my twenties, I was like Bushwick forever, you know, yeah. <laughs> but now that I'm like in my thirties, I was like, Park Slope's so pretty. And there's all these nice brownstones and there's little cute babies everywhere in the park. <laughs> and there's like a bunch of nice restaurants. I mean, I think in general, my favorite thing and what I miss the most from New York is like all the neighborhoods and just being in neighborhoods. Like I miss walking. That's yeah. what I love the most about New York. And that's why I love Paris too. Like I like cities where you can walk out your front door and then just go for a walk and see what you get into. And that's, I like miss that in Nashville because I have to drive everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I miss the bodegas too. Oh I really, yeah. Like I really wish that like everywhere had bodegas. I say that all the time. That is actually a big thing I miss. Cause like, I, I feel like, you know, when you live in New York, you just get used to 24 hours, everything. Yeah. Like there was like numerous 24 hour grocery markets that were like organic. Like I would come home from jazz gigs at like one in the morning and then do my grocery shopping. Like yeah. I could do that in New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great city. It's like, it's yeah. one of like, it's one of my favorite places in the world. And you're currently in another one of my favorite places in the world, Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. And um, so you had a gig there, like you had a gig outside there last night in another part of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we there tonight. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, playing at the Crow and Quill tonight should be fun. Okay. Yeah, I I love Asheville. Um, it's I usually like before the pandemic, I would get my husband to take me there for my birthday every year. So. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, it's it's one of one of my faves. I like the breweries and. Um, I like, I just like the mountains. So, um, you're in my happy place and, <laughs> and I'm excited for you. So, um, let's talk about jazz first, before we get to this Americana situation, I want to talk about jazz. Sure. Um, so how, how did you just organically find your way into the jazz world? Tell me how that happened. It was kind of, um, I kind of fell backwards into it in a way. Like I, when I started doing music in high school, I was all about songwriting. And I mean, that's kind of the, the world that I grew up in and what I was surrounded with, with the stuff my dad would feed me. Um, I feel like he comes from 
I don't know, the 60s, 70s folk revivaly songwriter thing of New York. It, that's kind of like what he was. And so that's kind of a lot of what I grew up with. Yeah. So that's always was my goals. And um, I was doing that. And I remember I was in college. I had these fans in France and became very close friends of mine. And I just wanted to move to France. I was like really, when I was younger, I was very unhappy with America. And I was like, this, I need to get out of this place. And, um, so there was a jazz school I could go to um, where I could get a visa, a student visa and get credit from uh, the college that I was at. So I was like, this is a cool way to um, get out of Dodge, you know? And um, yeah. I thought I had been studying classical theory prior to that, like, because I'd done piano. But then as I was getting more into it, I was like, classical theory doesn't really make sense for songwriting. Like, I, I need to learn more modern harmony. And so I was like, I should just study jazz because it'll make me a better songwriter. And so that's kind of how I ended up studying jazz. And I went out to Paris and I did a year in that school. And I wanted to just stay. I couldn't figure out a way to extend my visa. And my college was like, yeah, you can get credit, but you're eventually going to have to come back here to finish and get your degree. And I was like, all right, I got to go back to America. And um, when I got back, I was like, I should just keep my chops up. And I started um, going to this jam session in New York called Mona's. It was like all old time jazz. And I've been doing more straight ahead stuff in school in Paris. And, um, when I showed up there, I, it was basically like, I remember I was at a bar in Brooklyn at like the senior college and this guy started hitting on me and my friend and he was kind of like creepy and weird, but he was a jazz musician. Fits. Um, and, <laughs> and he, uh, I was like, well, that's cool. We're not really interested, but you, where do you go to gym? And he was like, oh, I go to this place, Mona's. And I was like, cool. So then I checked it out like a week or two later. And I remember it was this little dive bar in the Lower East Side and, I walked in there, there's this kind of like very intimidating Irish bartender behind the bar. And I was like, is there music here tonight? And he was like, yeah, at 11. And I was like, okay. And this is, that bartender now is a great friend of mine. His name's Amy Grant. And he's like actually the sweetest man in the world. But he's, when you first meet him, he's terrifying. And he got the jam going. He was running it for a while. And it's this, it's this like watering hole of old time jazz in New York City. And I started going there senior of college and I didn't stop for like 10 years. Wow. Um, and that's basically like I graduated from college and I was still always jamming there. I started dating this guy who did play gypsy jazz. So I was like, I would always sit in with friends, mm -hmm. but I was trying to pursue a career in like historical research and stuff. I, I got a job working for um, Finding Your Roots, that genealogy show for yeah. a while. But at night I was gigging in jazz and, and I was getting more gigs. And I was like, was, at one point I was like, I can't do two jobs at once. So I was like, almost every night of the week doing jazz gigs and then doing this day job for PBS. And um, I kind of realized I was making more money in the jazz gigs than I was from the documentary film job. So I was like, I probably should just go with the whatever's the most money. And it's jazz. That's cool. And so then I just kind of became a full-time jazz musician. And then like 10 years later, I woke up and I'm like, what? Like, what have I been doing all this time? I got into music to be a songwriter and I'm like a jazz singer. What is this? So that's kind of when I, you know, I feel like when COVID hit, that whole realization hit right before COVID when I was kind of like, I got into this because I love both songwriting and I love rock and roll and country music. And I, I, I love jazz, but I'm not necessarily want to, I know I don't, I like to sing my own words. Yeah. And, and also do something new and do something that's like, so that's when I kind of woke up and was like, I think um, it's time to like I get out of this world for a little bit or like, you know, mix it or open up to a new thing again. Yeah. You know, so that's how I got to do it. That's the story. <laughs> jazz. So jazz was sort of like, I, I guess, more of like an acquired taste more than love at first listen or a little bit of well, both. 
it was a little bit of both because I think for um, I grew like one of the things I grew up with were um, old musicals. Like I loved Gene Kelly when I was a little girl, and a lot of that early early jazz music. I didn't when I was studying jazz, which is I think the fault of jazz education in general these days. Is they start bebop forward. It's like you think of jazz as straight ahead jazz, as bebop, as that you know. Yeah, and I liked it, but it wasn't something that you know. I actually like instrumental music from that era a lot better than the singing stuff. So I was just kind of like learned it. But then when I found Mona's, I was like, Oh, Oh, this is jazz too. It's just earlier. Yeah. And it was all the stuff that I had listed. Like I really loved Bessie Smith when I was in high school and stuff. And I love early, early blues stuff, which is, you know, is the source of a lot of jazz music. And so when I found the scene of people playing the early stuff, I was like, to me, I fell in love because it had that um, emotional content, but like rock and roll does and, you know, the kind of stuff that I like. I like emotion and rawness and all that. Yeah. But it was technically difficult and it was jazz and people were playing it. It's, and, you know, there's horns and there's people jamming. And so that's what I did kind of fall in love with it at first sight. Once I, I realized there was a scene for it and it was happening, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I did kind of grow up around this sound and I didn't realize it, you know, like yeah. my grandma loved um, yeah you know, uh, Benny Goodman and stuff. And she played clarinet. And so it's like, it was around. I just hadn't like realized I was like, Oh yeah, duh, this is jazz. It's just yeah. like the 20s, 30s jazz. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I think it's cool. I think that it's really neat that you have, um, such a strong background in jazz because like, I don't know. I always think of jazz as sort of like next level, you know, um, talent, difficulty, all that kind of thing. Like I, I have a, I have a big, big respect for jazz musicians. And I, I knew a lot of jazz guys in Birmingham that went to UAB School of Music. And mm-hmm. um, I was just always in awe of, of their versatility and their their talent. So I, I think that's really cool. That's why I want to talk about it. But yeah, uh, but we've we've we're we've done, you've done an Americana album now. And is this like, would you think of um doing well? This is your, is your second Americana album. Is that right? So it's technically my third like original record, but I kind of feel like it's my first because the other two were like low budget little things made in basements, you know? Yeah. yeah. So this is my first like real record, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so would you, would you say that this is kind of a, um, going back to your roots kind of things? Ugh. Sorry. Beef. Did you get attacked by a bug? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so I think this is definitely going back to my roots. And also, um, to me, it feels like the most honest record I finally did. Because, like, when I started writing, when I first got into all this stuff, I I feel like I had a style. And I, but I wasn't a developed musician then, when I was originally writing. And then I stopped for many, many years and was doing this jazz thing forever. And during, you know, when I was playing jazz, I was always trying to kind of get my stuff going again. My, you know, because my jazz was all under Sweet Meg um, because I was doing all this stylized jazz. I kind of had to have a costumey name. So I was always on the side trying to get like me, Meg Farrell, my normal name, just going. And I never, what I realized when I was in New York is I never, because I gigged every night of the week, I was always busy booking and organizing bands in the jazz stuff. I never finished anything. I thought I did. That's why those first records, I'm like, I like them, but they weren't finished. Like I never, I never was thoughtful enough or slowed down enough to like really 
write the songs, critique them, really come up with what I wanted the band to do. I feel like those first two records, I was kind of like, Whoa, what do you think? We got a day to do this. Yeah, that's the baseline works. Cool. You know, yeah. Like I wouldn't, it wasn't very thoughtful. Whereas this record, like I, I wrote the songs. I was originally going to record it before COVID hit. I saved some money up and we were going to do a little tour. And I was going to record this record in Nashville. Then COVID hit and the whole thing got canceled. And so then I was down in Nashville, um, like living on this farm for a couple of months. And I met this producer who did it, Roger Mutno, um, through a family connection kind of thing. And um, we met up and he said, he, you know, he liked my stuff. I asked him, like, would you be interested in producing a record with me? And mm-hmm. I showed him the songs and he was like, these are good. Why don't, and gave me some notes. And I like, yeah, okay, I'm going to spend the next month working on these. And I spent like a whole month editing and rewriting, which I just had never done before. And yeah. so it feels, and then when I came into the studio, I had like more of a vision and, and I had a band and we had, you know, we spent about two weeks in the studio putting it together. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I feel like it's my first one and it's what I was trying to do the whole time, but I just never had the time to do. And yeah. so it feels like the beginning of a whole new like era of making music. Cause now I'm like, I never want to go back to working constantly and, and never really creating anything thoughtful. That's what I felt like I did for 10 years straight. I was just like, next, next project, next game, next game, you know, the New Yorker speed. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about this album. I listened to it um, yesterday and I, I really like it. Um, you're first of all, you're, I love your vocals. I love to hear a female singer that is easy in their lower register um, it's kind of rare these days and your lower register just comes out so velvety and so easily and you, and you jump from it to your mid to your high, just really smoothly. And I really, I really think you have a great vocal quality. Um, and, um, so the song that grabbed me, well, it's, it was the first one. I mean, it wasn't an accident that it was the first one. It was first, <laughs> but, but that really grabbed me was Waco because I'm a sucker for that kind of Tarantino grittiness. And, um, it gave me all, all the feels. Um, so I want to talk about Waco for a minute. What's, sure. um, tell me about that song. That's got a fun story too, actually. Um, I love that song too. And it came out of, um, I did this crazy trip. It was a couple of years ago. I was on tour with this band, uh, Mama Duke, who are good friends of mine uh, up in Brooklyn. And we had this loft space together for a little while called Unit J. And in this time, we were trying to make our little loft scene a thing and like spread it around. So we were like, let's do a tour as a group. It's like Unit J on the road. So we had, we were all, all the Unit J artists were getting down to South by Southwest to play a little like showcase thing. And I was going to be on the road with my friends, Mama Duke. And, um, Basically, the night before, um, or the night of, we were all supposed to fly down. Next morning, there's two huge snowstorms hit New York. Or we're coming to hit New York. So all the flights got canceled. And there were two, like, snowstorms, like, moving this way and this way <laughs> towards New York. And we needed to get to Texas. And so we were like, okay, we're renting a van, and we have to leave now. Because if you don't leave now, the snow's going to hit, and we're not going to really get out of here. So we rented a car and we, um, we had to wait for one guy to get out of a gig. And so at 10 PM at night, we left New York city and we drove to Texas. It took us 36 hours altogether. And it was the first nine were straight through unplowed blizzard highway. It was a wild ride. 
Um, but because we were basically up for 36 hours and, and that's how we started the tour, um, it ended up being like a week of just insanity. It was just like the energy was very intense. And I remember I, after the, we were in Texas, I remember I woke up, I've been asleep for like nine hours or something in the back of the van. Like, and I woke up and we were in Waco and for some reason I was like, that's a funny sentence. Woke up in Waco. I just like that sentence so much. Yeah. And so the next, we arrived in Austin the next day and we were staying at this weird, um, like compound. They, there was a couple cabins and then this like weird house on stilts. And it was run by these like fire thrower people. And <laughs> I had this little box car that they turned into a room and I was sleeping in the box car and we were having a, one of these crazy nights. We had a big wrestling match on this big <laughs> wrestling mat they had. for, And it was around three or four in the morning. And I remember me and um, my two friends we were listening to Tom Waits and we were like, super stone and just like late at night sitting in the box cart is like listening to Tom Waits really heavy. And I remember I was like, guys, you need to leave. I need to write the song. You guys need to leave. <laughs> and I like kicked them out and I like hummed some of the song into my like voice memos. And then I like passed out. And, um, and then I woke up the next morning and I like listened to it and I was like, this is a song. I was like, this is actually a song. Yeah. And I had like, it wrote most of the verses that day, I think. And then I just kind of like wrote it out from the uh, voice memo and kind of just like tweaked it a little bit. And, and then it became Waco. <laughs> and so that's the generation story of the song. Um, and a lot of the imagery comes from like, you know, it's kind of like I, at that time I was having some interesting, weird uh, romances that were around from tours and which lend itself to weird images, you know, like, people in different cities and I don't know I so that's where a lot of the strange images come from it was like different things people had said throughout the while and I kind of I don't know mashed together and I had Tom Waits in my head so (laughs) (laughs) you know Um, Tom Waits was your muse for for yeah Waco I I love the feel of it and and that that brings me to my next question um um tell me again who produced the album Roger Mutno. Roger Mutno. Um, I think that it, that the entire album is gorgeous, and I like. Um, I would I would like to know what the process was like when you guys were recording. Um, um, who who did you have play on it? Who was your band? Uh, we had uh, Thor Jensen on guitar, um, Chris Gelb on drums, Alex Bingham bass, Jules Belmont on steel, and then. I'll, rhythm and singing um and the way we did it was we had um Thor Chris and Alex and me I was isolated but the rest of them were in one room and we did uh, basically all the live stuff over about three days Mm -hmm. so we did every song and played it live and then then Bingham went back to Virginia he's a good friend of Chris Gelb's and uh, he's just a great bass player and we kind of have a rotating bass slot with the band but Thor and Chris are always in the band um and so he went up to Virginia and then the three of us kind of finished it out and with Roger. And, um, you know, after that was done, I, it was, I did a couple of days of just me and Roger and we kind of overdid the vocals, redid some of my guitars. Then we had a guitar day where we did a day with Thor um, and he just kind of layered stuff on each track. Um, and we kind of had fun with sounds. Thor is really fun to work with because he's a big sound guy. And he's like, a, him and Roger both love pedals and exploring like, the possibilities of sound and what <laughs> the guitars can do. And so them together was fun to watch. Cause he's like, what if we put this pedal to this pedal and then this thing, and it's, Oh, that's cool. 
And like one thing we did, which is really cool, was we, for Waco. I love this. I actually have a video of just this, but we put his guitar through this crazy pedal through a Leslie um, uh, amp, like those organ amps, yeah. in the back, and then we recorded that, and it made the coolest sound. So those like weird ambient, like yeah. in the background, is all that like couple pedals guitar through a Leslie in the back, and that was really fun for that. That was like my favorite part. I think of one of the tracks is just the Leslie track on Waco. Um, so that was, yeah, that we did that. Chris said another day, we did a day with Chris where he did a bunch of percussion and we layered that over it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was a process. <laughs> it's like half well, those, live, half. Those were the things that like, that really just stuck out to me with number one, the guitars are stellar on this yeah. album. I mean, just like really shine and, and the percussion um, I like I had it written down that I was going to ask you who did the percussion because it, there, there's some really cool original percussion stuff on it. <laughs> yeah, well, both Chris and Thor come from my world of the jazz world. So Chris, particularly, I mean, he's just my favorite drummer in the whole wide world. He is his two favorite styles of music are like metal and old time jazz. Yeah, and like. So he like, if he's, you know, um, we, he lived in New York with me for a while and he was in my, he's in Sweet Meg. He does all the trad stuff with me, all the like 20 stuff. And he played with Vince Giordano, which is like the band that does, did all the Boardwalk Empire soundtrack and that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. He's, he's in a Woody Allen movie because he does all that old time jazz percussion where like this big old kits with all the little toys on them and he's killing at it. But then yeah. also he's got, he calls a pink monster. He's got a drum set that's like, I don't know from it's like a garage length it's like this huge Tama pink drum set with double bass drum and a million times and he does like he loves to just shred metal so it's like <laughs> to me when you go from like does 1920s jazz to hardcore metal and everything in between it sets him up to be such a fun and interesting player and he yeah. also studied classical percussion in in college so he's also does a lot of classical music so he's just he knows how to hit every drum and he knows how they work and he knows how to play with them. So he's so fun to work with because you throw him something and he, he deeply understands how each percussion tool works and he can yeah. read music and he can. So that's why he's such a pleasure to work with. And he's also got, what's nice about him is he can rock out and dig in, but he's really subtle and he, he hates when drums are too loud. He's like a big stickler about it. Yeah. So he plays with the subtlety and engineers I've noticed like really like working with him because he's not like, blah, blah, blah. you know, he really yeah. knows how to touch the drums well. And then Thor, um, he also is a jazz player. We're both, you know, they're all New Yorkers that came to Nashville, um, like me. Thor is just like an awesome, he plays Thor. Like, he doesn't play, I don't call him a jazz guitar player or this guitar player. He's just a Thor guitar player. Because mm-hmm. he is no one that sounds like him. And he does all the shreddy jazz stuff. He does, he worked with Stefan Rumbel um, for like six years. He was in that band. It's like a big gypsy jazz band. So he can do all the gypsy jazz stuff but he's just like a weird heady, you know, guitar player. And he just loves guitars and sounds. And so one thing I, I when I first started working with him, it was with my jazz band and we would call, we called our, this little four piece we would do called laser trad, where we had bass saxophone, Chris uh, on drums and me singing. And we would do really old jazz numbers from the twenties and, and stuff. But yeah. Thor would come and bring electric guitar and some weird pedal every week. And so he would be doing like really weird pedal stuff over like a super old time, band and that kind of mix you're like this is just fun and that's kind of like his background like you can just play anything and so working in americano with them is interesting because it's we're pulling all these genres into one and that's kind of 
they brought that like their voices are in this record like that is very much what they brought to the table and they they made these songs pop it wasn't my ideas it was their ideas that made a lot of this pop <laughs> well it's it's, it's a pleasure to listen to you too because like you nobody in that outfit is going through the motions or like you know doing what is usually done on a country or americana album it's it's very nuanced and it's very unique so um it you know it it makes it stick out to me like it makes it in a good and really good way um so like you you got some really good players and um the whole thing sounds really great who played the pedal steel on it oh that was Jules Belmont um he's also another great player he we went to college together at Sarah Lawrence and we were in the blues band together and I hadn't seen him since college and then when I moved to Nashville I realized he was there and he's a guitar player he does a lot of jazz and, but he's been doing steel the past couple of years. And so he was a perfect fit because he the same as you know, everyone in the band, everyone plays jazz, but also does country and Americana. But it's just, I feel like once you do play jazz and are into that, it's just easier to work with other people with that outlook. Cause it's just like, we're used to improvisation and yeah. like using ears more rather than writing out. And so he just was a good fit for us. Cause he's Jules is cool. Cause he's, I like him a lot because he plays, he really knows the country stuff a lot better even than like, you know, the rest of us. And he can make it sound like a classic country thing if it needs to, but he can also go weird. And he's yeah. got that, that full spectrum. So he was cool to bring in because he, he, when his lines that came in, they were like just what it needed. And they sourced it so much. Like he knows the history of it. He knows what it's supposed to sound like, but yeah. he also can add the little spark and he can follow where Thor goes and, you know, yeah. Because he's a really cool player too. How do you feel like um, um like the umbrella genre of Americana sort of like a, like makes room for you to blend all of your different passions and styles together? Um, I I really like it and I'm glad I can use it because I feel like I've struggled for a while to figure out what to call what I am, and and it's because it's like definitely country influence, but I feel like if you I can't call it a country record. It's just, that wouldn't, that's not what it is. It's not, and I can't call it a blues record. It is a rock and roll record, I guess, but, but it has, uh, it sources from, you know, more rootsy stuff, more American stuff is in the background. So that's why I like, when I figured out the label of Americana, I was like really happy. I was like, yeah, yeah, I could call it that. I could call it Americana. <laughs> I feel like safely because, you know, I mean, it's, and I think my goal with it is to, I don't know. I, I don't want to, be constrained by being in a genre in too much because it's yeah. the sweet Meg stuff I do like that is very genre specific it's like we're doing yeah. 1920s jazz or this is a western swing record or this sort of old-time rock and roll record and I like that with that music because and so that's one of the reasons I don't release I'm releasing stuff under two different names because one yeah. is defined by a genre and the other one is like I can make this whatever I feel like yeah and I, that's kind of what I want I want it to just be what comes out and like the next we're already I'm starting to write the next record and like it's definitely getting heavier and more like rock and roll but then it's also <laughs> another bug sorry um wait I just turned my video off um that's okay, okay. <laughs> still a city girl at heart I'm like ew aunt ew um I like but, I grew up in the country and I don't like bees either so yeah <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but so yeah, I just, I, I, I think it's great. I'm really glad to have it as a tool as like something I can call and say I am so that I can move forward and, you know, I don't know. It's a useful term. 
Yeah, I feel like I, I feel the same way because I, I mean, like overall, I'm more country than anything, but I also like I also love metal and I, you know, I I like rock and roll. And so like uh, the Americana umbrella sort of lets me um, put my fingers in all those different pies. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the Americana world for for being so inclusive. Yeah. Uh, of different genres. It makes it more fun to be able to mix stuff up like that. Um, let's talk about some more of your songs. Um, Midnight Train. So I love a good leaving song um, because I've, I've left things mm-hmm. as well. So um, tell me about Midnight Train. Um, that one was, I mean, it's, just, it's a leaving song. I, I had a, um, I was in a long relationship with someone who, beautiful, wonderful man. Um, and it wasn't like a, it wasn't a bad breakup in that something, you know, went terribly wrong, but it was a bad breakup in that we loved each other deeply, but it wasn't right. Right. And we had to separate. And so I feel like I went through a couple years of figuring out how to become a, it was like about six years we were together. We almost got married and then it kind of fell apart. And so it took me two years of revolution to kind of get out of that. And Midnight Train, I wrote right in the center of that, kind of when I was moving to Nashville. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that we, he hated Nashville. He's a New Yorker. He's a jazz player. He wants to be in New York. And I really wasn't happy there. And I really wanted to leave. And he hated Nashville. We came down and just, and that was like one of the big things. So it was kind of like when I finally was alone, I was like, I can go to Nashville. And so I think that it's kind of, um, there's different just imagery. I mean, the second verse is I literally was sitting on the mattress that we bought together and, you know, we really liked Harry Nielsen and I was listening to Harry Nielsen getting super sentimental about it. And, but, you know, it's kind of about like the transition and moving on to the next thing. And, you know, there was someone else in my life that I wanted to fall in love with, but it was really hard to consider that even with leaving this one behind. And, but I knew it was time to for a new phase, but it was terrifying. And that's kind of what the song is, is kind of about. It's it's like joyful and sad at the same time. It's like, woo, I'm leaving. But also like, it's not, it's so scary. <laughs> it's bittersweet, so, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 I've, I think I've been, I've been there and a lot of other people are, have been there. So I think that that song yeah. will resonate um, with a ton of people. Um and so one of my favorite things too is in Mama Said. Um, there's a line in it where you say it's a good life if you don't weaken. And I wonder, have you ever heard of the tragically hip? Hmm. Okay, the tragically hip are like the Rolling Stones of Canada. And they are my favorite band of all time and my husband's favorite band. I'm not Canadian, and neither is my husband but we love this fucking band. And um, that's the title track of one of their songs. It's a good life. No way. It is. And I want you like, after this interview, I want you to listen to that song because Gord Downey is, was he, he passed away a couple of years ago, but Gord Downey was a poet. I mean, he was an amazing writer and that song is so moving and so beautiful and, oh my gosh. Um, so like it, it all like that resonated with me like a million ways. So that's, so tell me what that means to you. It's a good life. If you don't, leave. that's amazing because that, that sentence is like the basis of that whole song. It's so that, um, that line comes from my grandmother 
that, so my, I never met my grandmother, but um, my mom's mom, uh, my mom is Christine. So that's, you know, what the album's named after. And um, her, her mom came from Ireland and she said that, you know, she had, my mom always has these like Irish phrases that she whips out. And she always said, whenever she's saying an Irish phrase, she does it in Irish accent. She's an actress too. So she's a very performative person, but um, I feel like it comes from, I can tell it's stuff that her mom said. She was, she really loved her mom deeply and she lost her when she was younger, like I think twenties or something to cancer. So she, I think me and my mom have a very close bond because one thing she said is she's like, I didn't get my mom through my adult years. And I'm so happy that I can be there for you in your adult years. And I, think of her all the time looking down on us and helping us get through stuff. And apparently she was a real tough cookie. And like my mom said, like one thing she would do is when they were, she would drive them around the rich neighborhoods in Jersey. I live, I grew up across the river in Jersey, like next to the, the city. And that's where my mom grew up too. Um, and she would take, take them around the rich areas and say, see all these people terribly unhappy, terribly unhappy. <laughs> and another thing she would say is that, when my mom was like, you know, getting really whiny or something or complaining, like, oh, it's so hard. She goes, it's a good life if you don't weaken. Yeah. And my mom always says that. And um, and that's kind of, she told me that. And I was like, that's badass, you know, because yeah. it's true. And she <laughs> she comes in that Irish background of like, yeah, well, life's tough, but, you know, you get over it. And yeah. You keep going. And this song came from the fact, you know, it, it's a lot of the fight I've had with, you know, alcohol and different things like that in my past. And that's something that runs deeply in my family. Oops, sorry. Um, phone just went thing. Mm-hmm. And we're back. Um, it runs in my family and it's something that she, with her, she's really, she never had a problem with it. My mother mm-hmm. and she on purpose, cause she had so many aunts and uncles, mainly men in her family who were, you know, like Irish tend to be uh, stable alcoholics. Like they don't go to AA because and they're happy and they're happy go lucky alcoholics. But they're yeah. alcoholics. Yeah. And she really hated that since her whole life. She really didn't. She never really drank much. And she always say like my whole life. Whenever she saw me drinking, she was like, "Meg, you're Irish. Yeah. You know, it's in your it's in your blood. Yeah. You know, we we can't handle it. She always say we're allergic to alcohol. Yeah. And so she was always pushing me on it and always making sure I I stayed away from it. And I feel like I've really. I'm conquering that. And even though it, it, I, I feel like I could easily fall into it any moment. Mm-hmm. And so the song is kind of about like how, because her mother was so strong and fought it and made her such a strong woman in turn, she made me strong and helped me overcome that stuff. And if she had not been in my life, the way she lost her mother, like I maybe would have succumbed to different things. And so that's what the different verses are about. Um, yeah. you know, like the second verse is like, I, I say a mom's sister died, but, uh, it was her, my grandmother's sister grew up with us. And I never knew the story, but my mom told me like she was a severe alcoholic and she died one night in her bed in her sleep because they left town and she went on a bender and that's how Anastasia died. And I never realized how deeply it was. And so that's something I think about is that like she dealt with it and saw it in the family and she fought. And that's one of the reasons I'm not like that. And I survived the tradition. And so the song is an homage to her and my grandma and, the strength they've given me. And the last verse is about, um, you know, like the strength they've given me and, and also my partner now who's really there for me. And I hope that, you know, it's through these people in my life that I can keep going. Yeah. And now I hope that he'll be with me and he'll support me, you know, in certain ways. Not that, you know, I need yeah. someone to be alive. I don't mean that. I'm not codependent. Sure. But, sure. You know what I mean? It's like the people in your life that without them, you know, 
I don't know, that bring you light and bring you strength to get through life in a better way and all that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, humans are social creatures and human connection is so important to us and support systems are important, especially when you're trying to heal generational trauma and things like that. Like I feel like mama said is a lot about healing generational trauma and that's it's exactly it. That's a really beautiful thing. Um, so I, I really appreciated that song. Um, I'm curious though, like I've told you what my favorite songs are. What's your favorite song on the album? Um, though, I mean, it, it's actually those mama said and midnight train. Um, <laughs> those are my favorites. Um, I think my other favorite is, um, damaged goods. Yeah. Tell that, me one, that one, that one, it is took the longest to write. Like I, <laughs> I, I like that one because it, that one went through so many freaking versions. Like I wrote that song. It's probably the oldest one on the record because I wrote it. I don't know. I feel like I wrote it when I made the first, the second record that I have out there, but I just, it was never done. Yeah. And it would have, there were all these verses that were just so wordy and it just felt like trying too hard to be country song. That wasn't a country song. And, um, and I just like, I know, but I like the chorus. The chorus has always been the same. And I was like, this chorus is good. I felt like I just can't get the song right. And I just like, we performed over and over. And then I finally found it. Um, I remember I was like trying to work on my writing and I was like, can I just write less words? Jeez. And so I just tried to write like verses that were just very concise and like small amounts of words. And it ended up, I'm like, oh, this is it. Finally, this is the song. Finally, it's the song. And like, <laughs> I know when so it just, just like, <laughs> Yeah, And it comes from that to me, it's the same. It's totally the same era of me leaving that, you know, my partner. And I feel like feeling... I don't know. I've made a lot of mistakes in that relationship and I felt like uh, in some ways like hopeless for a while that like, you know, I'm not really, I like want to be in love, but I'm not really sure if I'm going to be able to again or not sure that I deserve it again, you know? And it's like yeah. the whole song is kind of about that. Like, I don't know. I was like, for lack of a better term, like ah, I'm kind of a piece of shit. And that's what the song felt like at the time. I was like, I don't know if I deserve anyone else. And and so that's kind of what the the chorus is like. I, you know, I hope someone someday will <laughs> be down to to take this thing off. <laughs> that's a, the damaged goods is another song that resonated with me as well. And and um, I think that there are a lot of people out there that have felt that way before. You know, mm-hmm. um, only to find your way out of it and realize that you're okay. There's nothing yeah. wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with you. There's, <laughs> we're all, we're all just human and flawed and, uh, yeah. and it's, and it's all a journey. Um, so I, I, I really appreciated that one too, a lot. I think that you're a really good writer and I think that you're an amazing singer and um, I think you've got a gorgeous album here. And um, yeah. So um, tell us, what your plans are for the album. When is the release date again? Uh, April 29th. It comes out. Um, it's, I've got, I'll download cards and it'll be available online. And I do have some CDs, um, but you know, I'm not, I don't get that many CDs because I feel like I don't have a CD player. Yeah. But I am doing vinyls. I put in the order, um, but you know, they're so expensive and they take so long. Yeah. So I have a GoFundMe for them. So and it's basically like a pre-order system. It's just basically like if you don't, if you, donate the amount it costs for a vinyl. I get everyone's address and I will send them out once they're pressed and ready to go, which who knows when that will be. I can't really say. Um, It'll be worth the wait. 
Yeah, <laughs> but I think I just really want to do vinyl and, you know, so it, that's that's available. That's up on my website and everything and Instagram and stuff like that. You can find the GoFundMe um, for it if, you, if people do want the vinyl. And yeah, and the plan is, I mean, put it out. This one's my, an independent release, not on label or anything. And I really like to get on one for the next one because the only way I was able to afford to make this record was through like a government grant because of COVID. <laughs> so I have the next one written and ready to go. And now I'm just trying to, and you know, I'm, I want to make some demos for the next one. Cause we made this record now two years ago and I love this record, but I've been so busy with all the jazz stuff that I have wasn't able to put it out, yeah. figure out how to put it out. Um, and so now that it's going to be out, like I have pretty much the next one completely ready to go. I just need to figure out some sort of plan on how to make it. So that's my next goal and hope that I can get this one out there and be like, Hey world, anyone want to sponsor another one? <laughs> I've got it here. <laughs> I know. I've, I've, I know that feeling too. And I, I feel confident that you'll get support for the next one because this one is so great. Um, and so like, are, are you, what are your tour plans? Um, I have some gigs coming up. I mean, I'm still my own booking agent, so it's not the easiest. Um, I really, I, understand. <laughs> I really do want to find a booking agent so I could, I would like to play some festivals eventually with this music. Um, I'm just trying to figure this out cause I'm always juggling two acts at the same time. And the other one is much more off the ground and is with the label and, um, and I, it's easier to book that one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, cause it's more cute and stylized, but, um, I'm trying to get out there more. I mean, I'm playing in um, upstate New York in, in the fall and mm-hmm. um, I'm just still figuring it out. I'm trying to book as much as I can. Um, yeah. And I'm playing in Nashville when I can. And I want people to follow me because I am getting it together and I'm hoping to do some tours soon with this more listening stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm just, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of figuring it out and trying to put as much attention as I can towards it. Yeah. Um, because well, I, I like this. Touring's been weird too the past two years. Yeah, like that's it too. You know, like, like like I'll I'll go out and tour in between variants and then <laughs> and then like yeah. go night again, you know. So um so yeah, like, been, I've been I, timid to do it because of that. You know, it's because exactly. I mean this tour I had for this record before I even recorded it, like I'd booked this, I'd spent all these months putting together like a month-long run through the southeast. I was gonna go to Texas, all this stuff. Yeah. And then COVID happened and it just it's so much work to book a long tour. It is that I just keep being like, do I want to do that? Like, what is it? you know, and I, so I keep, I'm booking these like small little runs and that's kind of, I think what I'm going to do for a little while is like, yeah, do a little thing up here, a little thing, like go to New Orleans yeah. for a little bit or go to Texas or go from Nashville. And that's why Nashville is such a great home base for now. Yeah. So that's kind of what I, I hope. So if you follow me online, like I will, that's kind of my upcoming schedule is going to be, is going to be, little runs here and there. And I'm going to try to hit as many cities around circling Nashville as I can. And I'm always up in New York. So I'm always playing skinny Dennis in New York every month. Cause I can't, I can't get away from New York. I love it too much. So I fly up way too often and play in New York. So. <laughs> I would too. Like, I, I, I love it too. So, um, you know, ain't no shame in that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Meg, I've really enjoyed the time that we spent together and I'm going to let you go because I know that you've got like a lot of shit to do and you've got a show tonight. Um, and, uh, but really great album and, um, to our listeners, definitely, um, follow Meg on, um, the socials, all the socials and check out her GoFundMe and most definitely check out her album, Christine's Daughter. Thanks so much, Meg. 
All right. Thanks so much, Indy. Great talking to you. All right. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. 